Hello, welcome to Pull Up a Cuppa. I'm June and I'm here today with Joe. Hello, Joe. Good to see you, June. It's been a little while. Oh, <laughs> don't even think if I want to work out how many years it's been. Well, you know, we were, fortunately, we were hitting Newcastle quite regularly there, mm. once or twice a year. And then um, it seemed once the gentleman who was running the Newcastle Opera House stopped mm -hmm. being there, uh, that or they stopped, I think they closed for a short period of time. Yeah. I can't remember. And um, and then we did a couple other. We did one show in Gateshead. I remember that uh, in a that small was, um, a music that was room. Three tons. Yes, I do remember that. You did. Uh, you did one downstairs in Legends. Yeah, I wasn't. Was that the one? Yeah, I do remember that. Okay, yeah, it's coming back. Like a little pit rock bar. Yeah. Yes. And um, so, and then what's happened over the last, you know, bunch of years with the Light of Day tour. So I come over there in November, December, and we tend to go to Ireland, Scotland, down to Leicester and London. There's yeah. just not enough days to hit more yeah. UK cities. Uh, and I haven't been touring either solo or with the band. Um, and the funny thing was, when I've been doing my summer tours, I've been skipping over the UK uh, because I've been kind of saving that for Stone Caravan for when we come back. And that was supposed to be this spring. We were supposed to come back and do a series of shows, but obviously that didn't happen. So hopefully within a year or two, I'll get the band back over there. And if not, then I'm going to start trying to do a few more. I get nice notes all the time from folks in Sheffield and Newcastle and Edinburgh, Glasgow, like, hey, where are you? So I, I need to get back over. The, the gigs were just like such a community yeah i mean you played um the the clooney did we do the clooney, the clooney? yeah that was a fan i love the uh, uh that, that venue yeah, yeah. And, and i believe if i remember correctly the promoter's name was jim i don't know if he's still i don't know if he's passed on or not or he's not in the business i can't remember i hate to say that um but he was the gentleman who was at the newcastle opera house yeah and we started putting shows on at the clooney uh, or he was promoting us outright. And we had some very well attended shows at the Clooney there. That was, you know. Oh, I remember. There were, that pit at the bottom was, yeah. was full. Yeah, no, we had some great nights there, which I was always very uh, thankful to Jim for uh, helping us along on that. And then also, uh, and thankful for the fans, but, you know, being an independent band where, you know, we never had big publicity or airplay for people to come out like that and see us that was you know i was really always very thankful for that yeah i mean that's it you you start well i mean i first saw you um as a support artist with southside yeah and that would have been at the uh that was the opera house opera house yeah it was funny because i was there i think twice i was there once in june and then i came back in october with johnny in the mm -hmm. same year, 2001 mm -hmm. and then the following month, I came back with Nils Lofgren, but I don't think Nils did the Newcastle Opera House. I think, I know we were in Air, Scotland. We did Belfast, Dublin. I, and I think we, I know I did down near London. Uh, and we did, oh, uh, oh, Milton Keynes, the, sh uh, the barn or the shed there. Yeah, so I, I, think, I don't think I went back to Newcastle with him, but I, I was able to play the new Castle Opera House twice in a very short period of time. And then we started coming back playing the Bistro almost every year there for a couple of years. Oh, I mean, you were like just in that tiny little space. Yeah. But it was brilliant. Yeah. Well, you know, the one thing I'm always, was always very proud of the Stone Caravan, you know, Greg Likens, Mr. Lou, got rest in peace and, oh. and Sandy Monica uh, was that, you know, we always played, any small venue, like it was a stadium or any bigger oh. venue, like it was a small club. Like, you know, you try to, you, if, it's, if the place is bigger, you try and make it feel small. If it's small, you try and put on a, a big performance. So, well, yeah. I don't think as a performer, you can say, oh, well, because there's only a few of you, I'm going to be- there's, there's folks out there who do that, you know? And yeah. I, was, I, was, I was taught early on, um, don't penalize the people who actually came out. You should be rewarding them, you mm -hmm. know? But some people find it hard to, to get up 
and really uh, get their energy going for a smaller crowd. But, you know, I think we, we had so many years early on when we were down in Greenwich Village cutting our teeth where uh, a smaller crowd was better than no crowd. <laughs> so, you know, I, you kind of, we learned how to perform no matter what was going on, or uh, certainly I did over the years. You know. Well, that's it. I mean, one person goes away and says, oh, I had a brilliant night. The, the right. ne next time you come, they bring the friends along. And yes. it's all word of mouth. Yes, yes. And it's positive, and it needs to be like that. We need to be sharing. Yeah. Well, I think what happened, and as the years went by, and certainly the internet came into play, it was a little bit easier for independents like myself to get the word out. Um, and people were you know, taping stuff on their, uh, recording stuff on their phones and then sharing it. So yeah, all that helped, you know, it, uh, uh, you know, it, there was, there was a good 10 year period there from 2000 to 2010, where I definitely spent a lot of time in the UK. Yeah. And it, yeah. It be because I mean, I think actually when I, when, if I work it out, cause Philip was born was Philip born? Philip was born uh, 2003. Right, same as my daughter. Yeah, because I remember because it was a it was a bistro gig, and I was quite heavily pregnant. Um, and we got talking on the fact that you just mm -hmm. looked at me bump and felt a little bit yeah. emotional yeah. because yeah. if that gig was that gig, uh, you know, I remember the year prior in 2002. I was touring the UK, I think it was early February. And uh, not to go too much into it, my son was born February 24th and I did get home in time, but it was, I got pretty close there. He showed up early, so he was, uh, yeah. Well, Haley's, um, well now husband, does contract work abroad. Mm -hmm. And when she was pregnant with their children, obviously he's working it around being out the country or being in the country and working it out that as long as these children are on time I'll be in the country right but you just you don't know Could, if a baby's decided cooked and it wants to come out right that's it <laughs> done <laughs> it's coming out then popping up in the toaster no matter what oh oh when they decide and then they're just pains after that right so uh, let me ask a question. Now, uh, I just briefly touched saying that our tour got uh, canceled because of COVID. How is New what's going on in Newcastle these days? Well, um, well, apart from the fact that we've been promised a storm for three days, <laughs> and it's the joy of the UK weather, it's never come. Right. But we're now experiencing um, sort of coming out of lockdown. Mm -hmm. We can now meet in small groups. Uh, restaurants are now open, but they've got to have limited capacity because inside. you can go inside. Inside, okay. Uh, but you've still got to. I think you can go inside. Well, yes. Yeah. Um, but you've still some of them are, but you've still got social distance. And so not not every uh, table's open. Right. Do you, um, have to wear, do you have to wear a mask when you enter into the restaurant? I'm not sure. I haven't even gone that far. Right. I haven't even gone to a pub. Good for you. Um, yeah. I haven't, have I been into, I've been at the supermarket, but we, um, at first you could go into the supermarket um, and it was big social distancing. They mm -hmm. made it so you could only go up the, the aisles one way, but this was UK right. wide. Right. So you were literally, you were being told which way you could right. go. If you were right. at the top of the aisle and what you needed was at the bottom, you had to go down the other aisle to look yes. around. Yes. We still, um, we still have that here. We still oh. have one-way signs on our uh, Less people are following it, in all honesty, but uh, I was just in the supermarket yesterday, and they do have one-way. So what I'll do sometimes, if I need something real quick, I'll just leave my card at the end of the aisle and run <laughs> grab it and come back. <laughs> well, I think if you're only going to be going like three steps up that aisle, yeah. Well, the Tesco's near us aren't doing that now, the big supermarkets, or like the equivalent of your Walmart isn't right. doing that now. But now when you go into a shop, you have to wear a mask. Yeah. There are exemptions. There's like medical exemptions. And if you've maybe got um, an anxiety condition or something that 
you would really panic with a mask on. Right. There are exemptions, but if you can wear a mask, then yeah. they want you to wear one in the supermarket. So now they've taken away the one-way signs, but we're like a load of masked zombies walking around the shops. <laughs> Do you have to wear masks inside or? Yes. So anytime you're uh, anywhere you go here in the, um, I'm in Northern New Jersey, right on the New York border, masks everywhere. So like last night we were out to dinner, uh, a friend of ours owns a very nice little Italian restaurant, um, which you can't eat inside, but he got a, a very large, almost circus tent. So there's tables socially distant there. It was a friend of ours birthday. Uh, so when you go into the enter the uh, the tent you have your mask on and then once you sit down at the table you could take it off you eat your dinner if you have to get up and go to the bathroom the loo you uh you have to put your mask back on and you know, when you go enter the building but yeah otherwise anywhere you go supermarket shops yeah. anything you do coffee shop you have to be wearing your mask yeah oh you know and in this area it's been pretty good you've probably seen some videos be it uh, YouTube or Instagram or TikTok where some people getting very adamant about not wearing a mask. And We've had like, it in the UK as well. You know, we all wear seatbelts. We all wear life preservers around a boat. I mean, there's certain safety issues. It's pretty easy. Um, a lot of people have made it very political. Um, but the scientific results are it works. Masking does work. And so does social distancing. So, you know, you got to do what you got to do. If it's a little thing that I can do to mm -hmm. minimize it now, I know there's been mistakes in the past on both sides of the Atlantic. You know, we're not going to put it all on yours. We'll put yeah. it on yours as well. There's been mistakes everywhere. Yeah. Now, where we are now, it's, it's decreasing. So let's wear yeah. a mask and minimize it. Yeah, and I agree. If that you, is all I've got. You know, the, the people will get really agitated it doesn't mean this is going to be this way forever it's just for this you know six months or say a year even okay and it's got to be and you know all the generations or all the most of the folks who live through uh in your country in my country through world war ii where their life was severely interrupted for four to five years mm -hmm. from no milk no bread no you know no meats or very limit limited um all those people are gone, so there's no one around to almost smack these people on the head saying, this is nothing. You got everything you still need, just put on a mask. I saw yeah. a brilliant story that said our parents, um, during the, the raids, during the air raids, turned off their lights so that the house wouldn't be visible. They shut yes. the curtains, they turned off their lights to keep everybody safe. Yeah. There wasn't one house that went, well, I don't think I'm just going to open mine because... I it's don't a, believe they'll be able to it. Right, it's going against my civil liberties. <laughs> and I thought, when you describe it as anything else, people get right. it. Yeah. But as soon as it, it directly affects you. Yeah. Um, I mean, I had, um, I was going to say, I suppose I would say the COVID scare recently. Yeah. I woke up a couple of days ago. And I, I've been immensely careful. I've kept stuff to a minimum. I've washed hands. I've sanitized. I've masked woke up the other day with just that like every time I was breathing in through my nose I could smell something awful nobody else could smell it I'm going around going stupid can you smell that he's like what? <laughs> I'm thinking, you're having me on but nobody else could smell right. it just me so you're like you know you brush your teeth your mouthwash right. scented candles going everywhere I don't know I couldn't get rid of it so I rung well it, we have a service called 111 which right. is it's not the emergency 999 service, but if you're just like a bit worried, yeah. you can ring that. So I rung that, then got a call back from a doctor. And he went, you know, took all these things and he goes, mm, I think you need to go and have a COVID test. I'm like, I've got a funny smell. Right. But well, usually you can't smell. Well, this is what I, yeah, yeah. but he's, apparently you can get altered smell. <laughs> okay. So we went online, um, booked the, the walk. The, there was a, there's a drive-through one about a right. mile and a half from us. I went on, and we were there within half an hour. Right, right, right. Um, I would say, you know, oh, it, it wasn't nice. No. Wasn't, I don't know if you've had one, but they're not nice. 
Well, we had to, we had to have one uh, about three weeks ago now. Um, my kids attended a, a small graduation party, and uh, one of the fellow students had family members who were um, uh, who were, had tested positive, and then they had found out the next day that, that the student also tested positive. So we all went, my, my, my son and daughter, my wife and I, all four of us went and everything was negative and everyone felt fine, but so yeah. let's, let's just be safe. I got my results at six o'clock the following morning. Yeah, so, well, ours was the rapid one, so we just waited 15 minutes. Wow. Yeah, you had to pay a little bit, but yeah, well, it was just peace of mind. Probably had these, this done at quarter to four in the afternoon. Yeah. And I got them at six o'clock in the morning through email. Oh, okay, there you go. So, yeah. but I mean, the staff were brilliant. Yeah. But you say, it doesn't half give you that, even though I know I've been really careful. Right. It really gives you that, like, I suppose as well, it was a sense of mortality of my yeah. own. And sure. it, was, sure. it was such a, you, I was in a right mood the whole night. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. In February, right before uh, this whole pandemic started, I was in the hospital for about eleven days. Um, I had had an issue about four years ago with something called pancreatitis, um, which was uh, an issue derived from the gallbladder. And I chose not to have my gallbladder taken out at that point. I just changed. I took out all the uh, the hams and bacon's and salt, all the fatty all the nice meats. Stuff. Yeah, all the fatty meats out of my diet, and that was good. But the uh, but the problem was that the gallstones were still there. You don't get rid of them. Uh, they they say there's a holistic way to do it, but a lot of people don't believe that. No, there so, isn't. Got to get the gallbladder out. Right. So I think it was on February seventeenth or so, somewhere around there. Uh, I was in ex I was uh, in our production office down in Nyack, New York, and excruciating pain an associate mine drove me to the emergency room and not only was uh, was there going to be an issue with the uh, uh, the gallbladder was I had sepsis which I uh, basically poisoned in my system and later on when I got better I then read you know 20 percent of people with sepsis die and I'm like oh, oh I'm glad I didn't read that earlier no. <laughs> well um I mean, so, I, I was, so I was in the hospital for eight days before they could even take out the gallbladder because they, they had to wait for everything to calm down. They had to wait for this infection to heal. And then I had the operation. It actually was on my son's 18th birthday on the 24th. They told me to stay in two more days, just let everything settle down. So I got out on February 26th. And that's just about the time that COVID, that maybe a few days later, really early March started hitting. Yeah. So, so not good, thank God I got out before oh, the hospitals got well, run over. I had my gallbladder out uh, probably 18 months ago. Oh, okay. So I am. I mean, I was in and out with... Uh, that first, seems pretty incredible. Oh, I well, I was in and out so many times. Right. Gallbladder attacks. Um, I, was getting, I was getting them at home. I knew when they were coming on just based on... I had some creamy pasta. There were certain things I knew. And then <laughs> you, you go, well, just don't eat the creamy pasta. It's not the same. Yeah. Well, that's easier said than done, right? Um, but also, it was very funny. The funniest line said to me when I had told a friend of mine uh, that I had to have my gallbladder out. And he said, what are you, a 42-year-old woman? Because <laughs> apparently... <laughs> Apparently, like middle-aged women are the highest ratio of gallbladders. I said, I guess I am. I don't know. Well, I was. Um, I would have been a fifty-one-year-old woman getting my gallbladder out. <laughs> so, yeah, um, I yeah, I would have been about that, about fifty-one. But apparently, it's very common. Do they do yours? Do they do? A, I guess the way they do it here in the states now, probably the same in England, is. Uh, Kind of just a couple of cuts and they they suck out the gall. Yeah. Oh, they they put all the stuff in, then they inflate you, so they can get in. There's one. Yeah. There's I've got like a little scar just below yeah. my breastbone, then two more down the side, then my belly button. Yes. And they're just so. But then you wake up, and I don't know about you, but you feel like you've been like done five rounds with Mike Tyson, and he's oh. put up. Yeah. Yeah, I was walking around, and anytime you would get up or sit down, putting a, a pillow under your belly to hold 
hold everything together. Well, I, yeah. I, I like to sleep on my side. And I'm, I'm, I'm rather large. I'm extremely overweight. I'm holding my hands up and saying that. So when I lie, my belly lies before me, <laughs> which doesn't help when you've just had surgery. Right, right. I found after a few days that if I lay right against Stuart and rolled, I could get on my side and use him as a pillow. Right, right. But right, that also right. meant that he couldn't go to sleep in case he moved. Because I yeah. needed him to stay there. So he was... He, I never asked him this. He, I found out he was just lying there, letting me sleep. Right, right. While, I, while, while he just lay there awake, waiting for us to move. Now, what did you say a stone was? 12 pounds or 14 pounds? 14. So, uh, so I had, from last year to the operation when I came home, and I'd been um, eating healthy and working out uh, with a trainer, I probably had dropped five stone. Wow. Um, yeah. And uh, in fact, in April, I did a telethon on, on, uh, for our local food bank. And I had this, uh, one of my favorite songwriters, you can say John Prine, had passed away sadly from COVID. And I wore the shirt, which was a little bit more like a dress. Uh, <laughs> and now in the last couple of months, I think uh, maybe two stone have crept back into the, uh, the gameplay here. Well, one might be the fact that now you've got your gallbladder out, you can slight start to eat those nice foods again. They eat anything. But also, you've got COVID weight. Yeah, yeah. Because we're not doing anything. We're, we're, we're drinking iced coffees and... You know, we go, I try and... You know, my daughter and I were really good there for a while going for walks. Back when we went up, started up again recently. But we, we had about a two-week period where we were going for couple of mile walk every day and uh and that's when uh i felt really good and i i had a goal that was actually on the horizon i could see it and then somehow it just started going the ship started getting further away from shore but it was also because the weather had changed it got very hot and humid here uh which stopped me i have an old barn that i'm fixing up in my backyard from the 1890s it got too hot to work in there so that stopped that it got too hot uh, the humidity on these walls the humidity in the this area gets really nasty at times um and then there was also I, I, you know honestly some malaise just like you know sitting around doing nothing after being on the go for 20 something years my schedule was always so packed now i'm enjoying the space I have in a day. But there was a couple of weeks that I was definitely in a bluer, funky mood, like, well, you know, what's going, you know, this is my, my brain and my body was not used to standing still. That's no. not what, no. in my vacations, because would literally be certain afternoons or a day or two here or there. To me, that was a big, that was downtime. Uh, so all of a sudden to have weeks and days, I'm, my, myself and my wife and the kids went to the Jersey Shore. Uh, a friend of ours hooked us up at his house, and we had a week down there. And I literally could not remember the last time that I had seven days of going to the beach or just sitting around watching movies, doing nothing prior to this, because any time I would have, you know, from 1996 to 2006, all I did was travel the world, play guitar and sing. And I still have been doing that since 2006 to now, the last 14 years. But uh, what happened in 2006 was uh, my uh, Little League baseball teammate slash piano player in the 90s slash good friend uh, and Broadway composer, Neil Berg, uh, he had developed a show called The 100 Years of Broadway, which fantastic, became the number one Broadway concert, but he didn't know a lot about touring. So he asked me to come in to his office as a consultant and help with setting up those tours. Cause that's my background before Stone Caravan. You know, I'd worked for Bruce Springsteen and Tom Petty and U2 and all those folks, the who in an office from the time I was 22 to almost 32. Uh, so that was my background. So for the last 14 years, I've been touring as a full-time musician, running an office full-time and then doing the work I do with Why Hunger and Lie Today and all this other stuff. So my schedule had become really packed. And um, so now all my 
all the projects I work on are based on live entertainment, which was absolutely closed down. So um, there was maybe a week or so where I was lamenting that, like, and now, now I'm kind of like, okay, well, let's see, let's see what else, what else we can do and get involved with in the meantime, because it might be another six months or a year. Knock wood, knock wood, I'm all, myself and the family are okay. And um, we'll see what happens, but it's yeah. a strange, strange place to be in. Yeah, I think it's, it makes you appreciate little things. Yeah. Um, little things that, um, the, when people are talking about um, the missing haircuts, but they don't mind because they can't go anywhere. So it doesn't matter what that, but then when everybody, everybody was doing business at work online, they were like, oh sure. no. Oh, hair's got to be like so. The, you had um, you had like companies doing like Microsoft Teams calls and Zoom calls, and everybody had COVID hair, and nobody cared. Well, it was very funny because there's probably been more middle-aged folks who've gone gray earlier because they're like, "What am I going to dye my?" And people stop dyeing their hair and, and whatnot. Yeah. Well, okay. yeah. I mean, I had um, pre-COVID, I had just a tiny little slash of blue left in the front of my hair. Right. My last colour session. Um, and I, I have had one haircut since. And when I get went to get it done, they're like, are you going to have a colour as well? He went, no, I quite like the, the, the silver. Um, I says, I like this. And yeah. I, I always used to have the right end of my hair, like, shaved right in on about a number two so it, it looked like that and i had it done like that for years but through covid the right hand side of my hair ended up the same length as the left side of my hair the the shave just grew fully right. I went, do you know what let's have a bob for a change <laughs> well, for the first time when i came out the hairdressers i felt my age because my hair looked age appropriate and color yeah. appropriate not me coming out the hairdressers with um, red and green and yellow hair with the shaved side. Um, it was it was a little bit of a wake up for me. Right. It's funny what you say about the haircut because I've I've gotten one in the last you know how many months, and uh, I tend to always keep my hair not super long but you know longish enough. And uh, it was strange going in there with a mask. You know my 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 normal barber had he had his mask on yeah. but it did feel good to just sit do something normal just to sit in the chair kind of have a conversation through your mask um so yeah but there's really no reason to cut hair at this point or color hair or any of that type of stuff eyebrows you think no let, let your eyebrows be natural yeah. you know it doesn't little thing doesn't matter if you can't go get your nails done and i'm thinking yeah but then I also had the point of that one person might need that done just to help make them feel good. Right. So I had to do a little switch myself on how I was feeling about people that were, you know, rushing out because they needed something that um, I would possibly have perceived as petty. Right. And then I went, no, that might be the thing that helps them sure. stay sane. Sure. Yeah. Stay yeah. Sane. yeah. I can't even get words out to stay sane. Uh, yeah, so I, 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 those, and, and also I felt, you know, uh, those are service, uh, you know, barbershop restaurants. These are people who couldn't work for a while, or were still working at a half capacity. Uh, well, I have fellow musicians and myself who can't work. Um, you know, we can do a few things online. I've been involved just, I just kind of, uh, what I've been, I think I sent out an email or a week or two ago saying coming out of my hibernation. It was about three months I just laid really low besides doing a couple of telethons for uh, our local food bank online. But now I'm starting to do some stuff and I'm actually playing two outdoor shows which will be socially distanced, just acoustic. And, um, and I'm doing a bunch of stuff online between now and, and October at this point. Um, and I was pleasant surprised I did something online with Light of Day Canada a few weeks ago, and uh, they set up, besides donating to Latter Day Canada, it was myself and two other songwriters, uh, the gentleman who organized it had set up tip cups yes. uh, between PayPal and Venmo, and people were just so nice and generous, and it was like, hey, I'm a, I'm a, a non-working musician like many. Um, 
it's lovely because it's case of like you know if we'd come to see you we would have bought a ticket so it's like you know exactly. what you would have paid for this ticket right. if you can afford it share it yeah. but we're not penalizing anybody right which is right. what which is what art and music should be you know, and I and I and, the, and I had a great time. I had it was a really good experience. So he just came back to me and said, "Hey, that was great. It was uh, our most watched show of the, our first season. Do you want to just do one on your own in a month or two while set it up?" And I said, "Yeah." I said, "I'd like to do that." And, and then I'm going to do one. Uh, there's a uh, Facebook uh, fan group called Bruce. Uh, no, excuse me, Spring Nuts made up of Springsteen fans who raise a lot of money and do good works for charities. But there's like 7,000 of them. So I'm going to do something for them online. And he just said, do you want to do a show? I said, well, let's come up with something interesting that I wouldn't normally do. Make me, challenge me, make me do some stuff. So I said, how about we do a, a show, a 60 minute show, and I'll do my songs, uh, Bruce's songs and a little Steven's songs. So I'll do, you know, one of each. And that just to make it a little bit different. Um, so yeah, I feel like coming out of that hibernation a little bit, or even I'm sure, uh, though I might've said yes to you cause I've always liked you and I wouldn't say no three months ago, I wouldn't have wanted to do this. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the timing was perfect when you even like, yeah, let's do it because I just feel like this is the new norm for a while. You yeah. Know? I think it's when I started sending these out to people, it was more just sort of like, let's reach out and see who else understands that it, it's. The power of conversation right. and what good it has and it doesn't matter what you're talking about right it's also right. it's good to like when you're ready to your own four walls yeah but there are times when you need it i've done it because when we went into lockdown i was still a student wow. so um i still had um assignments to finish yeah i still had essays to write um, I had research to do, I had modules, I had assessments that had been changed from practical to written. Um, so I was sitting for hours on end at home working, which I'm not used to doing because I like doing it at the university library. So um, it was tough. It was really tough. Um, but I finished my degree and I graduated. Congratulations. Well, All right. Well, I'm saying I graduated. I've got an email to say. Yes. Well. That I <laughs> got an email to say I've got a first class honours degree. Very good. Right. But I haven't had a ceremony. No. No. So a lot of, a lot of kids had just virtual ceremonies this we year. We offered a virtual ceremony. We're going right. to get a ceremony next year with the, <laughs> the class of 21. Right. All right. That'll be good. That, that, that's lovely. But I'll yeah. actually be a student there because I'm going back to do my master's degree. Good for you. Good for you. So I've decided that age doesn't hold people back and it shouldn't. It's funny. My son graduated from high school this year and the uh, outdoor ceremony in June was canceled. And so there was a virtual ceremony instead that night. And then as they were able to figure out a, a socially distant distance uh, plan so they did have a graduation outdoors on the football field the kids sitting far away from each other and one of the masks everyone in the football stands sitting far away and it was a, it was a lovely night and gave them a chance to have a little bit of closure on a, a strange senior year I, yeah um, i think anybody who's hit graduation of of any education so like if you've finished for us it's like your O levels at 16 or right. your A levels at 18 or your degree or your masters or your culmination of your phd doctorate anybody who's finishing at this time they've done so well to get to where they are yeah 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 i would say uh uh and you know my son starts uh, university in uh, a few weeks in so that whole first semester from uh, September through December is all virtual online. There's yeah. no Grimmer campus. And who will find out about the January till May second semester, probably, I'm sure they'll make that decision by December. Uh, well, it, but who knows? It looks like at the minute we, be, we might be having something called blended learning, which yes. is if they can teach you on campus in small groups, 
then you can go to the campus, but the bulk of it is going to be online? It, yeah, it seems we're doing a little bit more of that in the high school level, but the university levels, a lot of them are doing virtual. I've had a couple of uh, my friends' uh, kids decide to take a gap year because mm -hmm. while the university was open, they were sending them there, you're going to have to pay for room and board, and then their virtual classes were going to be on their computer in their dorm room. Yeah. So why bother sending them away and paying all that money for them to do what they could either do at home or some of them opted to work for a year and then they'll go back next yeah. year. Yeah. As long as I think, as long as the people who are, are taking the gap year can keep that momentum up and that drive to want yeah, to. Yeah, I, I think uh, usually those, if it's an A student, you're okay. The B's and C's you gotta worry about. You know what? Even if you decide that you enjoy employment, you can yeah. go back to university at any age. Yeah, and true. I mean, I did that. I, I went back at 50, so yeah, drama of yeah. all subjects. Yeah. Um, and I, well, I think what happens when, when you go back later is because you really want to learn. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think a lot of kids coming out of high school feel like, this is what they have to do because that's what everyone else is doing. It's the normal progression. And I think there's also the chance that you may not go back if you wind up working somewhere. And, uh, and not that it's, you know, nowadays it feels, you know, obviously that seems to be needed in most uh, uh, fields of work. Uh, so you're better off just kind of going through with the whole thing. My game plan when I came out of uh, university I wanted to go to Syracuse University, get my master's, yeah, big piece of hair hanging up here, <laughs> um, go get my master's and then get my doctorate. I wanted to teach at university level. That was my kind of like, I wanted to have my doctorate by the time I was 28 and then just live the university life for the rest of my life, which seemed like a lot of low stress. <laughs> uh, what subject were you going into then? Um, I would have probably been in, in, in the English, you know, uh, communication media English. Um, <clears throat> so what happened was I literally, I got a job uh, running one of the dormitories at Syracuse University, an RA, uh, or uh, part of the, the, the staff that runs dormitories. Um, but for colleges here, we have a test called the GREs. And for that school, my scores came up 30 points short on my test. So the head of my department, my university where I was, wrote a letter because he had gotten his doctorate from Syracuse. He wrote a letter and, and on my behalf saying he does all this other stuff. He should definitely take this student. Apparently at that time, Syracuse had got into a little bit of trouble in the, on the collegiate level with sporting and uh, maybe pushing some athletes through on grades. So they were really crossing their T's and dotting their I's at this moment. So they would not let me in. And I, I really tried hard for about two months writing letters, whatnot. And then come that September, I landed a job at Premier Talent Agency in the music business uh, and changed the course of my life. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't play guitar. I didn't sing. I was always a writer. I wrote poems, lyrics or lyrics, probably poems. Uh, and then I taught myself how to play guitar. I started going to Greenwich Village in 87, 88. And right at the end of 89, we played our first gig. I never played a show before. It was in our apartment building. We, we picked the lock to the first floor of the un, uh, unoccupied apartment. And we jammed hundreds of people in the building that night, kegs, and it was a lot of fun. And uh, we were playing under the... Uh, the name Three Chords and the Truth at the time. That was our name for the first six months. That was November of 89. So uh, probably spring of 90, we changed it to Stone Caravan. Um, but I had never, did, you know, I'd always dreamed of wanting to do it, but I never had done, the, uh, never sang and played. So it took a few years to even get okay at best. I mean, uh, I remember there was a, a, a lead guitarist who we worked with early on who had said to me at one point after, I think it was after one rehearsal or whatever, and he said, you sure you just don't want to manage the band? <laughs> and uh, and cut to 10 years later, I'm playing a festival 
in, in Milwaukee, about 10,000 people out there. And he was now living in Chicago. And him and his girlfriend came backstage and he's, and he was, you know, it was always a great guy. I always loved him. And he said, uh, he goes, oh, you guys were wonderful tonight. I never should have left the band, you know, and we're just talking. And there was a part of me that wanted to say, do you remember when you said, but I just thought him being there and saying, I never should have left the band was my validation enough. And, you know, yeah. there's no, you know, um, but yeah, I mean, sometimes that negative fuel is as good as positive fuel, depending what you do with it. Uh, but yeah, so that, so that decision there, so Syracuse not letting me in changes everything mm-hmm. in my life, you know. But that's it, so you, it doesn't matter even if you get a knockback. Yeah. Well, the knockback might be, lead you to something, you know, could you say better? You know, early on, the first 10, maybe even 15 years of me doing this, I'm sure the the university salary of a professor would have been a a lot more welcoming than an independent musician. Uh, But now I'm 56 now, you know, things have worked out and your wife, your kids, your life, you know. So it all, it opened up another avenue. Um, and it also, I think it, it allowed me to decide what the, pa- oh, not decide, but act upon a passion that I had that I was always too afraid of. Uh, and it was probably because, you know, as most people, failure. Like, oh, I, I, I've never sang, I never played. You know, uh, the odds are remote. Uh, but the only good thing about being in your young 20s is you kind of think, 50-50. Either this is going to happen or it's not. You don't think 50 million to one or, you know, you don't, you don't think in those odds. No, um, I think at that age you go, oh, I'll have a try. Right. What have I got to lose? <laughs> well, once you, once, I think it's, if you have some talent and people have always said, oh, you're good. It's a little bit easier when you're, when you're starting out and you don't have any real, uh, lack of a better term, God-given talent, and you're really learning. Uh, I I think one of the things I I kind of always applied to myself was if I was a bricklayer, the first couple of months or the first year in the job, I'm not going to be a great bricklayer. But if I keep on laying these bricks year in and day out, I'm going to build this craft to a certain level. That doesn't make you Pavarotti and it doesn't make you Eric Clapton, but it may make you a working musician which is what i was able to become over the years and as a and then i had no idea that i would ever write as many songs as i've written i mean i hadn't that that was just that's been a bonus upon bonus i mean it's oh, 14 I mean, records yeah. worth of songs i mean that's a lot of stuff. yeah I know plus, all I... the one, plus all the ones you don't use that are pretty good and all the ones you don't use that are uh, horrible <laughs> that you gotta throw away that's it i mean um I've got the first two lines of a chorus of one of your songs tattooed on my back. Yes, yes. Um, and I was at a beer festival once, and normally people just they say the words and they read them and they go, oh, I'm okay. And I was at a beer festival once, and I'm used to people just like tapping along the words on my back, and I'm like, oh, somebody's reading them. So he read the lines and he finished off the chorus. Ah, you knew the because when oh. you, you, have, you have Bruce as the boss, Elvis is the king. The king. And right, he you have the first went, two lines. And, and then he, he must have said, oh, uh, blue eyes. Blue eyes is the chairman of the board. And uh, I just turned around and flung my arms around him. Because, <laughs> you know, you're just like, you know the song. Right, right. Because you know, a lot of people think I'm just, I've got, I've got two statements right. on my back. But I've always liked the fact, again, I think we're kind of... Uh, you know, a, a well-kept secret myself in the band over the years in certain circles. Uh, a friend of mine was at a concert, was at a Bruce show, and I think it was in Gothenburg, Sweden, and this gentleman is, is from Canada, and the guy he ran into was from Germany, and so now here they are in Sweden, and he was wearing one of our shirts, and they immediately became friends and created a bond. Like, it was kind of like, you know, there's a great line that Jerry Garcia had, and I'm not comparing us to the Grateful Dead because they were quite a large band, but he had said, uh, it's a great line, he says, uh, not everyone likes black licorice, but the ones who do really love it. <laughs> you know, and that was, I, I think that was a perfect quote for the dead. And 
were probably not as extreme, but it was kind of like when I always found like when people tripped upon us, they were like, oh, okay, this is a, a breath of fresh air, something, you know, that's uh, yeah. not being offered up. And I always felt good about that. And I've been fortunate to perform in 27 countries. Wow. People, so people will say to me sometimes like, oh yeah, you know, I hear you're really big overseas. I'm like, no, no. I said, I, the line I've always used is I'm a little bit known in a lot of places. Yeah. I mean, my friend's got a, um, a request show on, it started out through the student radio. Right. Fusion, Fusion Radio, which is at Northumbria Uni, University at the Students' Union. And over COVID, he started a quarantine request show where people are phoning in. Well, we're not phoning in. We're sending them Facebook messages and emailing them. And him from his bedroom was putting this show on and it was helping his mental health. And we were all coming together because we're all on Facebook Messenger while he's doing the show having conversations if something's gone wrong or oh i know that song right, so sure. we're all doing that so um his dad loved like whatever he sent a song in he would give you the story behind it so i started doing the same right and i put a song in now i'm going to see if you can work out which song it was right. um and i said um i was in the front row of the bistro same joe um, and a certain song came on, um, and, and apparently I sang it as loud as he did. Uh, well, we're going to take it that it's not rock and roll call, right? It's not rock and roll call. Would it be Welcome Home? No. It was a one you probably wouldn't have wanted anybody else to sing along with. It's never <laughs> I mean, does that, does that mean it's a ballad? Was it it's slow? Never, never missed you more. I was going to say never missed you more if it was a ballad. I'd go with and that I one. sang it because I just, I mean, I've got songs. I'm a big believer in like when I'm down and I listen to music and I love, I can always find solace in words. So mm -hmm. I listen to a lot of different bands and a lot of different artists because I've got ones that I pick out for certain moods. I know my go-to songs that sure. will sort out. Yeah. So on, um, on the other night, obviously when I was in the middle of my COVID scare, put my headphones on, went onto YouTube, went onto Shuffle and all that. Right. A lot of your stuff came up because uh, I've got it on playlists and stuff. Um, and I got... Never missed you more. Followed by Badlands. Followed by Numb. Followed by Glow. And I'm like, oh. Oh, thank you. Are you trying to tell me something? <laughs> yeah, I like that. I like that playlist personally. <laughs> you know, it's just like I'm in yeah. that place when I'm feeling a bit fragile. Yeah. You're just going to chuck at me all of these. All and, these. And that, was that through your Spotify account? Um. No, that was um, us on a, a YouTube. I'd gone on YouTube. I'd gone on a playlist and just shuffled yeah. it. Yeah. It was, you were just like, oh, thank you for this. Yeah. I, the other night, it was very funny. I was talking about, I'm trying to remember who it was now. I was talking about a band and an artist. And a lot of times I will, um, there's two programs uh, with my earbuds here. I'll put on, uh, on my phone and go to sleep at night. One of them is rain. The rain just put me to sleep. The other one is ocean sounds. Now, the great thing about the rain is the rain will play right through six, seven hours straight. It never stops. But the ocean sound only goes for about an hour and then it goes to some acoustic music. And I woke up the other night to a, oh God. It was an artist in a band that I was, don't usually ever hear, but was talking about to someone and then just popped up in my ears and it was kind of a random thing. So I was trying to figure out, and I, was, and I knew it wasn't on my phone. So I must have went to another playlist of someone else or something else on Spotify. But it was pretty, uh, I was like, hey, it's pretty good. I, was, oh, I think that's the joy of Spotify is there's so much out there that you can there's find. A, there's one of the things that you, as a songwriter, I've become even more thankful for people like yourself and people have uh, found out about uh, songs I've written over the years is there's so much out there and there's so much good stuff out there and there's so much good stuff out there that you've never heard. So anytime anyone wants to spend any time and attention on something I did, I am extremely thankful because besides all the independent great folks out there, you still have your 
stones and beetles and Dylan and Bruce and Elvis and all the biggies out there, you know, um, which take up a lot of bandwidth, you know, but. That's it, yeah. I mean, yeah, and you're yeah. talking about, you know, you've just said you've got your stones and your, your Elvises and everything yet. And obviously, as, as I said to you, we're going to put this out on Monday. Um, and that's the one day after the anniversary. Yeah. We lost Elvis. I mean, yeah. I just, I suppose since, since then, when we've lost some big artists as well, you understand the impact that yeah, sure. an artist has on the music industry. No, I got my guitar. I'm going to play a line. I got my guitar here. There was an old song of Elvis's that I always loved. And it was more, uh, I'm going to play a slower version or just a couple of lines mm -hmm. here. And the funny thing was, if it wasn't because of this pandemic, I never would have learned this song or uh, a little bit of it. Mm -hmm. But you know, I've, I've found myself over the last few weeks now that I've kind of got back into singing and playing. And I had to get my voice back to a certain level because my voice started getting after the operation and not playing for a few months, my voice had gotten really almost like raspier and smaller. I've always had a gravelly voice, but, um, but here's a, an Elvis thing. Uh, uh. I thought that's it. Every man has a flaming star, flaming star. Over his shoulder, and when a man sees his flaming star, he knows his time, his time has come. Flaming star, keep behind me, flaming star, flaming star. Rise on me, flaming star. There's a lot of living I gotta do. Give me time to make a few dreams come true. Flaming star. So, yeah, I always love Flaming Star. <laughs> That's absolutely totally understand why you've gone to learn that during COVID. Yeah. But you know, I suppose more more than ever now. Yeah. But yeah. an absolute sentiments. I'm just sitting there yeah. going, I know that. And it works and it works as a ballad. I tend to uh as I've gotten I think older my voice has gotten a little maybe deeper and richer. I tend to uh I'll pick faster songs and make them ballads. But I think the Elvis version has a really every man has a flaming stone. Flaming. It's a different yeah. song, but I but the words are really nice. So I thought, let's slow this one down a little bit. I think when you take a song and you, you use those words and you put it into a ballad, the, the the emotion and the sentiment of the song just flows through. I tell you, there's a song that I never recorded that, God, I must have been I've been playing on and off now for 25 years, maybe even a little bit longer. And uh, I remember my uh, I was I was I had left living in New York City in 93. My mom was ill, so I moved back to my folks' house up here outside of the city and stayed there until I got married in 95. And uh, I was downstairs uh, playing a, a very slow acoustic song. My sister had come down into the cellar and she was like, had a little studio set up. She goes, wow, that's really nice. I like that one. And uh, I said, oh, good. She goes, you just write that? I go, you don't recognize that, do you? I go, that was a big hit, like techno synthesizer hit in the 80s. And she's like, no. And because the words were actually quite nice in it. I go, that's the flock of seagulls I ran. Yeah. And I walk along the avenue, never thought I'd see a girl like you, uh, Auburn air and tawny eyes that kind of hypnotize me through, but it's like, dude, you know, that whole spot. And it's really, and one of these days I'm going to record it because it's kind of a, 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 a sweet version of that song. Um, but, you know, I, I always said a good song is a good song. You, you take, I'm sure you could take that song and make it into a bluegrass song and it would work. Well, that's it. I mean, talking about alter and songs, I mean, we spoke before about my Phil, Phil's a complete yeah. metalhead. Yeah. Um, which you've heard a bit of him playing in that. Um, Phil did, um, we went to karaoke yeah. um, um, at the Students' Union. 
and it was Halloween and he was in full-blown leathers, boots, full-length leather coat, <laughs> got his face painted, he, lo he looked, yeah, it was amazing. Um, and he got up with a friend of ours and sang Barbie Girl. <laughs> Which one's, oh, Barbie, yeah, 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 sure. Wow. But yeah. he sang as Barbie, but he did it screamo. <laughs> um, and he's very much like, I don't give a shit. I enjoy right. that. Yeah. Well, that's what it's supposed to be. Right. You hope right. other people do too. And if not, that's okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. I enjoy what I'm doing. Right. And that's what it should be. I've, I've, you know, one of the things I've been proud of over the years, people have come up to me after shows and said, I had such a good time. And, and it looks like you are too. Yeah. <laughs> I am. I said, I'm playing, you know, I always say to my kids, one of the good things about, uh, you know, getting to do music, I said, it's called playing, not working. I'm not saying yeah. it's not hard, but it's called playing. Like when you're a kid, all you want to do is play. I said, and, you know, when you and when you're in a band and it's working right, it's playing, it's fun. I yeah. said, but um, you know, I think the want of wanting to do it for so long and never thinking you could, and then having it actually happen, I've been fortunate enough not to lose that. Um, you know, these the last few years I've been doing these summer tours, which are have been pretty grueling. I mean, they're anywhere from 21 to 23 shows in 25 days, hitting nine countries or eight countries, and you know, it's, it's, you know, I'm on the go every day. Um, but I really enjoy, like, I, but as we get closer to showtime, um, especially if it's a great setting or whatever, I'm still like, there's nowhere else I want to be right now. This is what I want to be doing. Yeah. And, it, and that's a good feeling because, um, you know, I think it's also, and I'm, I'm always very honest about this, having people um, pay attention, enjoy, pay money to be there, pay me money for something that I used to be very bad at <laughs> or that people would ridicule or make fun behind my, you know, so that is, um, you know, that's never lost on me. I kind of remember like, Oh, you know, or, um, and knowing how hard I worked to maybe get there or maybe blessed. I, I did a lot of praying along like, you know, just keep, so you just like, yeah. keep, keep drilling at it. You'll get there eventually. Yeah. Um, so, um, so yeah, so not losing that enthusiasm. And like yeah. you were saying, going up there. And I remember one time, I've told the story a few times. I think I just told it on a, to a buddy of mine the other night. I was doing a show in uh, the Tarrytown Music Hall in Westchester County, which is in New York, right across the river, the Hudson River here. And I was opening, uh, I was the support act for a fantastic Texas songwriter, singer by the name of Nancy Griffith. Um, and Nancy did well for herself over the years in the Americana country world. So I'm opening the show and uh, I had a decent enough opening set. I, her audience is a little bit different than maybe mine. I don't feel like I've blown the audience away far from being booed off stage. It was nice, it was a, it was a lovely gig. So I walked out into the lobby to sign a few CDs people were waiting. And I noticed my dad, who, who was selling CDs from me at that point, is a little perturbed. So I said to my dad, I said, hey, what's going on? He's like, ah, some guy just said some disparaging words about you. And I told him, don't let the door hit him on the way out. And I said, dad, you can't throw people out of a theater when it's not even my show. It's the Griffin show. I'm just the guest. And I said, uh, I said, well, what did he say? He's like, oh, he said something about some of your lyrics in uh, one song not making sense and something else. And I said, Dad, I'm going to tell you something that I learned a long time ago and it helped me and maybe this will help you. Not everybody likes Frank Sinatra. Not everyone likes the Beatles. Not everyone likes Elvis. So with that being said, not everyone's going to like me. <laughs> and he goes, all right, now that you put it like that, I kind of get it. I said, there's people who go like, no, I don't like the Beatles. So how do, how, how do you expect, you can't please everyone, that's for sure. Well, that's it. You can't just not like, a person because one of their songs didn't make sense. Right. Yeah, whatever it was, it's, you, maybe I remind him of some kid he went to high school with. I don't know, but he just, he wasn't having me. That's no, no, he's a dad. He's sticking up for his kid. <laughs> because no matter what age you are. Right. And I've been fortunate. Now, over the years, I've such a long list of, uh, of people I've performed with as a support artist. 
and I'm I'm very fortunate that I never never got booed off the stage, never had anything really thrown at me. Uh, and uh, I do remember the only time I was ever really scared, I was opening for the Kinks. Uh, they were doing a special show in a in Poughkeepsie, New York, at a uh, at a place called the Chance. And the Chance, uh, Poughkeepsie is kind of a uh, uh, it's, uh, a little bit of at that time, I don't know what it is now, beaten up little uh, city. So it was a big deal to have a rock and roll Hall of Fame band coming in. And all that day on the radio was Kinks Day. Played nothing but the Kinks. This was a big deal. So I walk out on stage and as the stage curtain goes up, actually, when I got there, <laughs> this is fine, just remember this. As I got there, I went to go to my dressing room to change because I just had been there a month or two earlier doing a very lovely, lovely gig with Suzanne Vega, the wonderful folk singer. And, uh, and security stops me and they said, nope, you can't go up there. And I said, oh no, I'm the opening act. I'm going to my dressing room. No one allowed up there, including you. And I said, and I knew the kinks were on their bus. They said, everything's closed off backstage, kinks, kinks world. I walked literally in the middle. Of, now, this is a sold out packed theater. The curtain's down. And I literally walked into the middle of the stage and I just dropped my pants. I'm standing there in my, my underwear, took off my shirt, and I started changing just in the middle of the stage. Like, And now there's a guy near the curtain with a little rope. <laughs> he wasn't going to do it, but he was kind of like, oh. I wasn't being a jerk. I'm just like, because, you know. So anyway, I get changed. And then the DJ from the radio station that's been playing the kinks all day comes in. He says, okay, just give me a little bit of background on you. I was like, okay, tell him. And this is funny. As we're talking, all of a sudden from the audience, you hear kinks, kinks, kinks. The whole theater's going kinks, kinks. I'm like, oh, I've never gotten hit with a beer bottle, but if it's going to happen, it's going to be tonight. So now the curtain goes up and you hear an audible Oh, like grown because they see a guy with a guitar and a DJ. So then he kind of introduces himself and he must have been a known DJ, the crowd cheers. And then he, he starts announcing upcoming shows. And he said it was like some heavy metal band and there's and then some jazz band. And then he says, and we have Eddie Money coming up. And I played with Eddie. Maybe I, this, I hadn't played with him yet, but he said, hey, money. And there was a, a good amount of uh, clapping. And then we have Southside John and Asbury Jukes. And the place starts cheering, like, you know, more. I'm like, going, okay, maybe I have a fighting chance here. <laughs> they like Eddie. They like Southside. Maybe I get by. So, uh, and then he said, well, listen, I want to introduce, this gentleman's going to start off the show. And, uh, and he introduces me. And I think I played the first song right off the introduction. And when I finished, I got a decent amount of applause. Nothing fantastic, but decent. And I literally say to the audience, I say, hey, I know I'm the last thing you wanted to see when that curtain went up, <laughs> which I get a nice cheer for. I said, I'm going to do about four or five more songs. I'm going to get out of here, come down there, and enjoy the kinks with you, which I got. And I got out of there, uh, actually sold a decent amount of records that night. The crowd was nice, but I thought that was the night. I'm going to get hit with a beer bottle. And it, and, and it got by enough. So to, to wrap up that long story, years go by, about a year or two, and something was going on with the band. We are in some sort of doldrum at the time. And I went for a long ride, and I was feeling kind of bummed out. And I wound up in Woodstock, New York. And I saw there was this radio station there that I had, had some association with WDHT years ago. There was actually a, a very famous British DJ there by the name of Nick Harcourt, who became famous in LA. He had left there. And, uh, and I walk into that station with my new record. And uh, it was the same DJ who was on stage introducing me that night sitting in there. And then he wound up having me on the air for like 90 minutes. We played a bunch of tracks. And I walked out of there like, wow, that just changed my world by 180 degrees. But yeah, it was all back to that same night of the King. So pretty yeah. crazy. That's brilliant. And that's what it should be. We never know who we're going to bump into. Yeah. Not how we're going to bump into each other. Exactly. Exactly. Like, well, with you winding that up, I'm going to wind this up. I've had, a pleasure, June. I've had a fabulous chat. 
<laughs> I'm glad you brought up the tattoo because I didn't want to say that, but I wanted to hear it. <laughs> I said to one of the guys in the band, I said that I was going to be doing this. I said, oh, yeah, June from Newcastle. And they're like, oh, I don't know who that is. I go, the one with the, the lyrics on her back. Oh, yeah, I know who that is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's what... Um... I remember when I went to get that, it was like, you just get these, just two statements and I have to do the explanation. So while I'm getting it done, right. it's like, we're going to hunt. So they're, they're, they're in the tattoo studio, hunting out the, the song so that yeah. they can hear it to understand why I wanted yeah. it. Well, well yeah, I think as a writer, you know, I'm, someone had sent me a photo one time and it really was touching. From that same record, there was a song called The Ballad of Towns Van Zandt, Hawkeye oh. Pierce. And there's a line, every choice has a repercussion, no matter how small it may be. And the photo was someone had written that on this beautiful stone at the bottom tip of New Zealand and was leaving it on the beach for someone else and took the photo and sent it to me and uh, sent it like a regular hard copy in the mail. And actually in my production office, it sits above, you know, on the, on the wall there at my desk. So I was very touched by that. Um, but yeah, you just never, and it's always nice to know that some words you wrote um, from a, hopefully a, a feeling of, um, what would be the right word? Um, a feeling of, of truth and honesty then rings, rings true for someone else, you know? Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's what it comes down to. As I told you, I've always used songs at different times and some songs I hear can just reduce us to gibber and Rex in seconds. Yeah. And other songs can just lift my spirits no matter what mood I'm in. Yeah. And it's the power of music. Yeah. There's songs sometimes I start singing that I know I'm just about to burst and I don't know why. Mm -hmm. Well, that's sometimes it. I do, you know, but sometimes, you know, it's bringing up something out of you. And, you know, I, I always say music is still one of the best medicines in the world. You know, through mm -hmm. Light of Day with Parkinson's, we've used music now for 20 years. And, um, I, you know, I... I've had friends who are ill and I'll go visit with my guitar and just sit there and, and, you know, it may not make them, may not cure them, but it'll make them better for, you know, makes them feel better for that time. And that's medicine, you know, that's all right. Yeah. And this is why, you know, having music, getting it back live again and getting yeah. it back out there so that people can hear it is so important. You know, what's kind of interesting. I said this to my son the other day, because a, a friend of mine was playing in an outdoor tent and I said, Oh, I got to go check this out. And I said, I missed that. And I said, well, I, you know, it's the one thing I feel sorry for of his generation is that lack of relationship with live music. Um, they listen to tons of music all day long, you know, but the relationship with live music is very different than many gen generations prior. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one thing we've always said with Phil, you need mm. to see it live. Because um, I've gone to see bands and the support's been on and I've never known the support or there's been a two or three and I've come away enjoying it for the love of live music. So he's been and seen um, quite a few bands. We've got some like rescheduled gigs now coming up because of this. Yeah. So I think it's just keeping music like that and enjoying it when you can. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, listen, Ned, thank you so much for enjoying me for this. Thank you for that. That's My it. <laughs> Well, do you know what? That's the joy of it, is we can do it with anything. And it is yes. just, we'll have a chat. Yes, yes. Yeah. Send my best to everyone in your family. I will, please. and send my best to your lad as well. Thank right. you. And the band, say hi from me. I will, right. I certainly will. Take care, Joe. Take care, be well. Bye-bye.